all love that we just sang that song, right? Because that's the foundation of what we're studying right now, the song that goes, we will build our life on the firm foundation of who Jesus is. And for many of you, that is a strange statement. Wait, we're going to build it on some human, some homeless, bearded guy from 2,000 years ago and understand the complications of all that. And so I'm really excited where we've been and where we're going in this gospel. And so essentially, um, what we've been studying, this is week number eight of the gospel of Luke. The gospel of Luke is just the biography about Jesus' life. Now, as Christians, as people who uh, believe the Bible to be God's word, not just a history book or science book or any of those things, but God's heart and God's um, and God's heart of his love and compassion and his great work to reconcile us back to him, right? The, the Bible, the, 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 we believe in that Bible that the, the gospel of Luke is this biography about Jesus' life. It talks about his life, his death, and his resurrection. And uh, we understand in the very beginning of the gospel of Luke, this guy named Luke tells us that he wrote all these things. So we talk about it both timely and timeless, meaning perfect for those guys 2,000 years ago and also just timely and timeless, perfect for us today in 2020. And Luke tells us he writes these things so that we may have certainty about the things we've been taught, taught specifically about Jesus. And so, kind of the, the, the background, the, the motive, the underwriting of why the Gospel of Luke is written is this guy named Theophilus. Theophilus was a very wealthy guy who frankly probably had built his life around the Roman Empire and the Roman government and the wealth and the power and the prestige and the fame that comes with being a government official. And uh, he, all of a sudden, hears about this guy named Jesus and thinks, is he actually Lord? Now, that would have been complicated for Theophilus because he would have spent his whole life declaring that Caesar is Lord, boss, the, the supreme being and ruler. And so uh, there's some really hefty ramifications if this guy named Theophilus decides to uh, uh, change course chart a new path instead of saying Caesar is Lord because Caesar has let him down or whatever else had happened in the Roman Empire but instead going Jesus is Lord and so what Theophilus does brilliant wealthy he has lots of resources he hires a brilliant brilliant man a doctor a medical doctor turned investigative journalist and literally pays him a research grant provides his for his livelihood while Luke goes and studies all the things about Jesus's life and so Luke tells us in the very beginning that he went and sat down with all the eyewitnesses that means he would have sat with Mary and Joseph Jesus's parents he would have sat with the shepherds that you're gonna learn about today he would have gone and listened to their stories right and he also tells us that he went and read all the written documents about Jesus right so to, to figure out if Jesus is worth building your life on and so he went and gathered all the information and then he went and listened to all the oral traditions that was being passed down in all the synagogues all the pastors, all the people in the community is going to listen to this story to come to the conclusion that we could, we could, we should have certainty about the things we've been taught about Jesus. In other words, we can be certain in Jesus, and Jesus tells us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Meaning, in these uncertain times in 2020, there is a way to still have certainty, and that certainty is found in seeking and clinging to truth. And Jesus tells us truth is not an idea, it's not a philosophy. It's a person, and we're going to get to see that in more detail today. So Luke goes and compiles all this stuff so that we can figure out whether or not we should build our life on it and tells us how he gathered all the information. He takes 1,151 verses to write the story for us to have certainty. And 568 of those verses are direct quotations of Jesus himself giving us his words, his plans, speaking life 
showing us the way and offering us the truth that's found in him. And so we just kind of methodically been uh, going through this. And what's interesting, I tell you, there's 1,151 verses and 568 of those are uh, Jesus' direct quotations and citations. We haven't gotten to any of those yet. And we won't get to any today as well. And so where we've been is we've been kind of uh, walking with Luke as he's kind of priming the pump for us. And so it's so interesting is uh, we are now in the second chapter and finally, 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 Jesus has been born. And so if you don't know much about the scriptures, there's a couple ways to kind of look at it. Here they are. One way to see it is promise, right? Promise on one side and then on the other side is fulfillment, right? Fulfillment. So the way that I would describe this is if you... Uh, if you have heard about the Bible, know about the Bible, there's kind of two different parts. There's the Old Testament, and then there's the New Testament. The Old Testament kind of walks us through the understanding of how human and human history, how we got here, what our plight and problem is. So it, it's the place where all the tensions created. Uh-oh, we're in big trouble. We can't fix ourselves, right? It's reading the news today and watching uh, the tw- your Twitter feed and Facebook posts and going, Oh my goodness, the world is so broken, right? You don't have to be a Christian. We don't have to agree on our political ideology for us to go. The world is broken. Now, we might be pointing fingers and saying they're the ones who are broken, but yet we would go, there is something broken. And the whole Old Testament is that declaration. There is something broken. Human beings have decided that they would go on their own, they would walk their own path, they would chart their own course, choose their own territory, and they would literally have said to God, God, we're not interested in your plan right? And uh, the way that's described in the Old Testament is just sin. Sin is us saying we like our own plan better than God's, and why many of you are here is your plan hasn't worked out for you, right? That's just the story of the Old Testament is we've tried our own plans. I've tried my own plan. You've tried your own plan, and they just haven't worked out. And so it's so crazy about the Old Testament is it's littered with story after story after story, true stories of real people who continue to chart their own path, choose their own territory, go their own way, and eventually cry out to God and go, God, would you please fix this? And the Old Testament has this kind of, this two-pronged thing. There was like an immediate fix. There was a band-aid to the solution. God would come in and pull them out of the muck and the mire. And then, and then throughout the Old Testament, there would be this declaration that one day, one day, this is the promise, one day God would make all things right. He would make everything sad untrue. There would be a day where there's no more tears, no more pain, and no more sorrow. And it wasn't going to be up to us to make that happen. In fact, what's really interesting about the way that this plays out is God actually says that he will make a way where there's no way. We see it from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3. So there's this promise. And then thousands of years of human history kind of play out where there's still this brokenness and the sadness and this despair. And yet there's this God who continues to send people to show them that there's a true and better way. He would send Moses and Abraham and then uh, Isaac and Jacob. And then you have all these prophets of the Old Testament all going, one day God's going to fulfill everything he said. And it's not up to you. Like there's nothing you can do to make it happen. There's nothing you can do to stop it, right? This is the idea that we understand in the Old Testament, this word covenant, that God has made a promise and it's without stipulation that one day he'll make everything right. One day he'll do everything. And so if you're brand new to the faith, not real sure about the faith, I would just say this is the perfect day for you to join us because we're just going to walk through all the worldviews, all the worldviews of how we get back to the world that we long for that we haven't been able to get to yet. And so the Old Testament just talks about that promise. And then the New Testament would be defined as this, the fulfillment of the promise. Now, the way by which every single promise is fulfilled in the Old Testament is actually in God himself in the form of Jesus, Jesus who always was. Jesus steps down on this planet, lives the life we should have lived, dies the death we deserve to die. 
and then comes back to life, right? He, he covers us. He protects us, right? We understand this in human history in, in the saddest sense is that we see empires ra- uh, rise and fall and we even see the history of our country and other countries is the way by which new territory has always been taken in the world is through shed blood. Just shed blood. There is an, an overcoming power that comes in and there's shed blood to the point where we finally just surrender. They surrender whoever and goes, we can't do this anymore. And then all of a sudden someone takes that territory, right? New territory always, always throughout the scriptures is taken, by, or throughout the world, throughout human history is taken by shed blood. And what's interesting, God promises that one day he'll take new territory. And guess where he says he'll take that territory? In us. He'll come and make residence in us. He'll go and come and make a way where there is no way and we know the way that new territory is taken is shed blood, but the beauty of the fulfillment is the blood that was shed, and this is why we will celebrate communion today. Was not your blood, not, not my blood, but Jesus' blood. New territory is taken, and God does all the work. He is the fulfillment of the prophecy. So Luke chapter 1, he's going to continue to remind us of this uh, promise, right? And he's literally going to show us over and over again, hey, there's all these things that God said in the Old Testament, that there'd be a, a virgin that would birth the messiah right hey that there would come a forerunner who would show up and say prepare the way of the lord right so hundreds of years earlier there were these promises showing up in the scriptures and so luke chapter one is kind of going to frame this with some real humans like us an old couple and a young couple in the middle of a complicated world where they all want certainty and he's going to frame the whole thing help us understand the old thing that there will be a promise and he's going to go, hey, what starts is God told us in the Old Testament that there's going to be someone that's going to show up almost like a trumpeteer to announce the arrival of the coming kingdom. And so Luke chapter 1 begins the process of announcing the arrival of the coming kingdom by bringing the forerunner to the forefront. And that's John the Baptist. And so we start with John the Baptist. And finally last week, finally last week, we see that this couple, Mary and Joseph, they have this baby. He's called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. So Luke chapter 2, really beautiful story, brand new to the faith. Don't even believe the stuff. What a perfect, perfect day for you to join us. And let me just read to you where it starts. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 7, and here's what it says. And she gave birth uh, to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, or cloths, swaddled that baby, and laid him in a manger because, because, because there was no place for them in the end. That word in, uh, it just really means just guest room. That's all it means. It just means guest room. So where we start, what we see is all of a sudden, Mary and Joseph, they made a long journey. You got to go back last week and understand about the craziness of the geography and the topography and the genealogical issues that all going on in this. But what we get to is Mary and Joseph, they're basically in the garage with a bunch of animals and this dirty peasant's house. And all of a sudden, this baby's born, which is just so interesting because... There's just no pomp and circumstances. It's interesting if you think about it. Got 39 books of the Old Testament, right? That are all just about this promise. That's one day going to be fulfilled. You got the whole first chapter, the first 80 verses of Luke. They're just all about this promise. And finally, Jesus shows up, and it's just kind of like, well, here he is. No lightning, no thunder, no fireworks. Just a little bitty baby. With teenage parents, probably still filled with uncertainty, and here they are with this child. That's the fulfillment of everything we've ever needed. And so this is where it gets a little weird for you, probably. You're, going, you're telling me that a baby is all we need in this life. Well, the good news is the baby grows up and becomes a man. 
and makes some declarations that he's actually God. He gets murdered for him, but then proves that he actually is God by coming back to life and literally going, hey, the way by which you defeat death is through resurrection power. And I just showed you human history, right? You can go read the, the works of Josephus and others in the first century. There is this huge revolution that happens in the first century, and it's unlike any other revolution. There's no bloodshed. There's no you know, territory taken by a bunch of terror, like Christians trying to conquer territory. It's just Jesus fulfilling his promises in his followers, and there's tons of persecution, and yet this faith continues to develop it, and it all starts in this fulfillment right here with this little bitty baby born in Bethlehem in a little cave dug out of the ground in a little house with a bunch of animals laying around. It is everything that you would not expect. It's completely unexpected. And so that's where we find ourselves in because there's no room in the end. Now, that's it. Jesus is just born. You go, okay, okay. You lean in. Luke, tell us. Tell us about Jesus. What's going on here? Hey, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. Tell us. Tell us all about him. Tell us, tell us all about him. What did he look like? What did he look like? Did he, cute? Did he have dimples? Did he have baby acne? What is he? Did he coo ooh and ah? Like, tell us, tell us. Brand new baby. Let's lean in. And all of a sudden, this is so funny. Got to remember, Luke is writing this so that we can have certainty. So you'd think he would just lean in and go, here's all the things you got to know about Jesus, right? He would give us all this, you know, this, um, all this deep theological understanding, and he doesn't. Look, look what happens next. Verse 8. And in the same region, baby's here. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. So Luke immediately pans the scene to a couple miles away, probably a mile, two miles away, to just some random shepherds living out in the field. <laughs> what? What? And hey, here, here, let me just, let me just uh, make sure we are on the same page here, right? For some of you, this is a new story. I love that because um, you're not uh, coming in with any kind of preconceived notions. Maybe you think it's, you know, silly, but at least you're going, hey, I don't know this story. I'll listen. And others are, yeah, I know the story. I know the story. Let's get back to where Jesus is. Let's get back to the gifts, the magi, the, you know, the heavenly host, all those kind of things. Let's just move past it and say, no, 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 no. Can we, for now, for you and I, right this second, can we just see this with completely fresh eyes? Baby's been born. Luke pans the scene. Again, he's writing this so that we can have certainty that you and I, that's for Theophilus, have certainty. We're going to see Mary have some real certainty in these passages. Really, really neat. And so all of a sudden, he pans the scene to some shepherds. And we go, oh, cute, shepherds. We've seen the play, right? Nice shepherds that come with their staffs over their sheep. And um, it's really easy to get lost in this, that these are not cool guys, right? And this is what I love about this is maybe you can identify with Elizabeth and Zechariah from chapter one, the old couple who find out that finally they're going to have a child, John the Baptist, right? And maybe you can identify with that because Luke's going, I want you to have certainty. So let me introduce you to some characters that maybe you can identify with, right? And, um, maybe you can identify with having uh, dreams that just... Uh, didn't make it, right? Lots of sadness in that. Maybe you have unmet expectations from God that just were disappointed. That would have been Elizabeth and Zechariah. So kind of identify with them. And I mean, maybe in some ways uh, you could deal with like feeling inadequate or feeling like you're not prepared like Mary and Joseph. But again, God's doing all these really supernatural things from the beginning of time with those people. And we're like, well, we've, we've never had that kind of moment. But I, I think for the most of us, not, maybe not all of us, but the majority of us can at least identify with the shepherds. So what you got to understand is uh, back in the day, uh, thousands of years earlier, in a pastoral society, like a, a shepherding society, this was a, this was a great job. Like 
the mighty warrior showed up out of the shepherds. These are the ones who wrestled lions in pits, right? These are the ones who uh, conquered Goliath in the middle of, you know, David in the middle of this. There was a time where shepherds were ruling and reigning in a, in a great, great part of, um, of Jewish culture. Now, skip ahead to when these guys are here. It's no longer a really cool job. In fact, it's um, now there's a Roman Empire and there's a government and there's systems and rules and industry, right? And so the people who end up being shepherds at this point are people that, that don't want to be shepherds, right? No one, I, these little boys, when they were in Hebrew school and they're going, what do you want to be when you grow up? They didn't go, I want to be a shepherd, right? That's just not how it happens. In fact, this is the way I talk about it all the time. You know, no one says when they're six, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they go, when I grow up, I want to grow up and stand on the street corner and sell crack cocaine to sixth graders, right? Nobody, nobody is a five or six-year-old says that, and yet that happens. All that happens is called the cumulative effect. The same way we gain weight, lose weight, learn. You know, all those things. It's little by little, day by day, we walk down a trajectory, to all of a sudden we end up on a path, and we go, well, I guess this is where we are, right? And so what happened for shepherds, what would have happened is these are not guys that go, I just can't wait to be a shepherd. I just want to be a shepherd. Little by little, day by day, based on the choices of their life, they end up arriving at this place of shepherding. Now, what's even more complicated, it's not like, the, you can't even see these guys as like great farmers. For the most part, at this point in human history, in the first century, most Jews didn't even own their own land anymore. What had happened is kind of, there's patriarchal societies where land was kind of passed down through the generations, but because the Roman government taxed so much and to be able to have access to the synagogue and the temple, you had to pay temple taxes. And for most of the people, there was not enough money to be created to buy their sheep, their sacrifices, right? And to get into the, the, the temple and all these things for these Jews, they, they actually had to continue to go into debt to continue to operate in their re, re, religious understanding, right? Get to the temple, ask God for intercession. And Roman officials and Jewish officials would, would tax them. And the way by which they paid those taxes was basically they put liens on their property to the point where a lot of the property circulating around Judea, where Jerusalem is, kind of the state of Jerusalem, the whole area circulating there was a bunch of people who didn't even own their own land. So the reality is these guys are just living out with sheep on land they don't even own. And so we find them there, and in the same region, they were, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch by night. So these are homeless guys who live with sheep. This is why this is really important. It's because, you know... Um, Many of you have gotten done the Christmas play, and I just, I, I'm going to share some really bad news with you, and it's going to hurt your feelings. And if you've ever played a shepherd, it wasn't because the, the play director liked you, right? Like of all, of all the opportunities, of all the different roles to play, I know Mary Joseph, those are the, the big ones, the angel, shiny, all that kind of stuff. The wor- worst role you could have gotten is a shepherd, right? Right, here's, here's why, right? Because even if you were the sheep, or the goat, or the donkey, you still had value. Like, they value you for what you could produce. A shepherd was considered less than human, half of a human. In fact, they couldn't vote. They couldn't get to the temple because they were always with the sheep. They actually could not even offer eyewitness testimony because they were considered scum, right? They were considered scum. So let's say a shepherd actually witnesses a murder. And they go, we saw that guy. We saw him stab that woman. We saw it. We know. We can make, you know, we can make the declaration. They go, well, it doesn't matter because you're a shepherd and you're not a real human. Your words don't really matter. And let me just share this with you. Um, my son, my son, so the pastor back in Georgia uh, and also a, a teacher at a Christian school. And that Christian school decided to put on a 
Christmas play for the pre-K or whatever it is. My son was three years old. You want to know what they decided he'd be? Shepherd. Pastor's kid. Shepherd? Like, not Joseph. Look at this kid. Look at those dimples, right? Can't, I don't know if you can see him in there. But he was a shepherd. A shepherd. Right? A shepherd. A shepherd. I mean, could have at least been the donkey? Could have at least gotten in the manger that way, right? So a shepherd, this is, this is not a good role. This is not one you want to play in the movies, in the Christmas plays. And it's definitely, definitely not something you want to play in real life. So Luke pans a scene in the middle of this promise and fulfillment so that, remember, that we may have certainty. And he pans a scene away from the Messiah. And where does he put the camera? On the shepherds out in the field, watching their flocks by night. So baby's here. And for some reason, and Luke wanting us to have certainty, he decides to move the camera, the lens, on these broken, corrupt, less than human people. Right? They, here they are, out in the field. In verse 9, it says this. And an angel said to them. And an angel said, uh, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. So all of a sudden, an angel shows up. These guys are out in the field. I don't know what they're doing. don't know if they're intoxicated. I, know, I have no idea. I can imagine this is a pretty miserable life. You've got to see them as homeless people in the middle of the field. And they're just out there. We know it's plural. It's more than one. And they're just there. Probably in pain and sorrow. Probably with very little hope in their life. And all of a sudden this angel shows up. And it says this. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. They were filled with this reverence of God. Is this? Is this the God of the universe speaking to us? I just want to pause for a second. Usually when we open uh, the sermon part. I write out their songs because uh, I usually jump in prayer just because I kind of want to start things and it just made more sense today to get us here first before we prayed. Like I just wanted us to get here, right? Like do you believe that God still shows up? Like right the second, wherever you are, in your living room, your car, walking on the treadmill, at work, I mean, the shepherds weren't expecting this. They weren't expecting an angel of the Lord to show up and his glory to come there and there'd be this reverence of this. Like, so if you're not a Christian, do you believe God can show up that way? And if so, let me just ask you, could today be that day? Could today be the day that God just wants to literally make himself known to you? Because I think it is. I think the same way that this angel shows up, this messenger shows up. That's how the word angel is, you know, um, translated in the Greek. Messenger shows up to allow people to finally see God in his glory and respond in this awe and reverence. I believe he wants to do that for you today. I believe he wholeheartedly wants to do that for you. And those of us who actually already believe this, do you understand we're about to read more of the God of the universe is writing to us. He took Luke in his hand and wrote these words for you and I. Do we see these as living and active and available to us today? So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to pause and pray, but it's going to be a little awkward. For about the first 30 seconds, we're just going to sit in silence right where we are because we can move fast. We can do all sorts of stuff and do all sorts of things and, and miss this moment, like miss this moment and just trying to get something else on the checklist. That what if the angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord wants to make known to you through God's word, his love and plan for you, the fulfillment he has for you in your life, because that's what's about to happen for the shepherds. So it came out of nowhere. Could today be the day it comes out of nowhere? Could today be the day that God actually starts the process of reconciling 
your marriage and your family could day be the day. I'm telling you guys, I'm, I'm not saying this in like a weird sense. Like I personally have seen and witnessed, and I don't see it much, right? The resurrection power of Jesus in our world and in our church this week, right? So could we come with some expectation? And so I'm just going to pause and let you talk to God. If you don't believe in God, would you tell him that? And would you tell him, maybe you're just like the shepherd. Yeah, I didn't expect you to show up today. I'm just here because I'm sitting and stumbled upon this. Could you just tell him that? If you are a real, like, true disciple of Christ, would you tell him today that you want to become more like him, that you want to understand him better, understand his heart better, and live out his purpose better? Could you just for a second do that, and I'm just going to pray over us for these scriptures, and then we'll get back going. So would you just, in all the awkwardness of it, sit still before the Lord and talk to him just for a second. Pretend it's the middle of the night right in the, out in the middle of nowhere and an angel of the Lord could very well appear and you could see God's glory today. So would you do that with me? Oh, Lord, I love that what this angel's about to do in the scriptures and right here for us is usher in good news. Literally, that's what it's going to say. They're going to bring good news of great joy. So, Lord, would you do that for us today? Would you bring in good news of great joy into our hearts? God, right the second, would you just prime that pump and prepare our hearts to receive your good news of great joy? In the middle of crazy circumstances, literally shepherds living homelessly out in the field taking care of sheep watching them by night you're going to show up and so God if you can do that 2,000 years ago I don't know why you wouldn't do that right now and this day and what's so amazing God is no one expected it there they didn't expect that no one's expecting you to to speak audibly or inwardly right into our minds and hearts in our living room we're not even in a sanctuary God we're not even in a church building the same way the shepherds couldn't even go to the temple, God. They had to stay with their sheep. And here we are. We, we can't even go to the place we think you show up, God. And so it just makes sense that today would be the day that you could show up where we are, meet us where we are, and allow us to see the good news of great joy that's for all people. And so, God, would you help us really, really gather and cling to this good news? We could use some good news, Lord. And even better news that this is not just for this world and this time, but it's for all eternity. And so God, would you please, please, please speak. Holy Spirit, would you feel this camera, this microphone, my soul and heart. God, would your words go out and it only be your words. Holy Spirit, would you fill our minds and hearts and all, all over our community and globe with your good news of great joy that's for all people. And so thank you, Jesus. Can't wait to see what you do. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for leaning in there. And so let me get to the next verse. So angels are living out in the field by night. I'm going to take Briggs off of the screen. He wouldn't want to stay up there. And I had a, a you know, a push bin right through his forehead. So, um, and so here we are, angels in the field. Let's see what happens. Verse 10, it says this. And the angel said to them, Fear not, 
For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So an angel shows up. So funny. Every single time you see an angel speak, they always start with, hey, hey, don't, don't fear. Don't let your, oh, no, no, you can change your clothes. That's okay. Hey, don't, no, you're right. So an angel shows up. Hey, guys, good to see you. You've seen Greece, beauty school dropout, you know, got the thing going on. And so an angel shows up and he has a proclamation for him. And the proclamation first is don't fear. Well, that, guys? Don't fear. Do not let fear consume you. Yeah, yeah, your world's complicated. And this is, seems otherworldly, but can we start with just not having any fear? Hey, don't fear. Why? Don't fear. Why? Because the angel says, I bring you, see what that is? First thing you got to see there is this word, really, really important. You see it. Don't want us to miss it by just moving too fast. You. I bring you. I bring you. You. You get this? Like this isn't for just the people sitting in the building because there's not any in here. I'm literally looking at an empty space. Right? This isn't for your grandmother or your aunt, your uncle, your spouse. He literally is saying these words. Luke's God, I want, I want you to have certainty. I want you to fear not. I want you to use these words so you can get them. I bring you, meaning you get this, like right this second. This is for you. So could you not think how it applies to your grandson or son or spouse, but for just a second, could you just receive these words on your own heart? I bring you, and this is what it says next. Good news. Good news. I bring you. Good news. And it'll take us a little while to get to the great joy for all people, but what is that good news, right? Like this is, this is what we even define in the gospel of Luke, meaning the good news According to Luke, like, what is this good news? And the good news has everything to do with Jesus. And really, really important. You can see this in our world. It's going to take us a, take us a, a long way to get around the barn here. So it's going to camp out in this verse for a little, little while, okay? So get comfortable. Um, our world's broken. Yes or no? Yes, that's correct. It's broken. Uh, we're all concerned. No matter where you land, ideologically, politically, those kind of things. We look at our world, right? We look at our world and the brokenness and the pain. And we can, we, there seems to be some lines in the sand and it's us versus them, you versus me, us versus the culture, whatever those things. But there just seems to be a real brokenness in our world, real brokenness. And what this angel is saying to these shepherds who are experiencing brokenness, by the way, they are marginalized. They have experienced lots of injustice. They are not considered real humans, right? And so they've experienced all those things. And so when these angel, this angel shows up, these shepherds, he is saying, this is good news for you for now, right? So what's the good news? Well, to understand the good news, you got to understand the bad news. And to understand the bad news, we got to look at all the worldviews, okay? So there's a lot of bad news, and the lens by which we see things helps us interpret the good news versus bad news. That's why the, you're suspicious of, depending on which news you like or don't like, you're suspicious of even the, uh, the news articles, right? Because there's a lens by which they're already seeing things. So 1.8 million jobs or whatever it is in the month of August, but only 8.9% unemployment. That's better than it was. And depending on how you read that, depending on which uh, news outlet, some of them are really celebrating and explaining how great our administration is, right? And on the other side, they're going, well, there should be more jobs. So explaining how, uh, how terrible the administration is, right? And it's probably somewhere between all these things, but there's just these dis- different sides. And the way by which you view the news, the information, determines how your outlook and how you communicate those things, right? So to understand the good news, to see it as that, to have good news, you got to understand how people are viewing this, uh, all the world, right? We'd say it's broken, and some of us are hopeless, 
And some of us are, um, very few of us are hopeful, right? And so just good news that we got to see the different worldviews. And by worldviews, let me just use a different term there. Let's just use the word religion, okay? Now, you might not like that term. I don't like it either. One of the most offensive things, not really, I, I can handle it, that people would say is, man, I know you're a really religious person. I'm like, oh, religion just has some weird connotation, but by religion it's mean worldviews. And here's how I usually describe all religions, right? And I, by the way, I'm going to classify atheism as a religion, and so you might agree or disagree, but just for, for the time being, right? We're asking God to speak, so let's see what he does, right? Uh, so, um, religion, hear me, is man's attempt to uh, either get to God or become their own God, right? Man's attempt to either get to God or become their own God, which is different than Christianity. I'll hold the part about Christianity to the very end of this kind of uh, portion of the, of the talk. So religion is man's attempt to either get to God or become their own God. Like, here's an example. Here's, here is um, one of them. You ready? Atheism. Right? Atheism. Atheism. That literally means, theism means God. The A there means not God. Like, there is no God. And uh, people that live in this category, you know, like, uh, the, uh, pretty blunt and bold about it right now. In fact, some of you might be posting in the comment section right here now. It's just uh, not that a- abnormal in this to have people be very outspoken about this. And there's some arguments that how we can't prove there's a God. And if there's a God, why is our world so broken? I'm like, why in the world are we blaming God when we're the broken ones, right? But so there's just this belief that there is just no God. To be honest with you, that's a hard one for me to get because I don't know how we get here. Romans 1 gives us some real good, good understanding that there was a creator then creation. And we just focused on creation, lost sight of creator. But there's plenty of evidence for a creator right? There's plenty of evidence that there was nothing, and then there was something. All the matter kind of showed up on the same day. All the energy showed up on the same day. Like, how in the world does that happen, right? So there's plenty of, there's pr- plenty of um, explanation for that, and, but many of us go, no, there's no God. There's just no God. There's just no God. I, I can't trust there's a God. So what do you do if there's no God? Well, you wouldn't say this. I wouldn't say this, but you just become your own God, right? If there's no God out there, there's no king of a kingdom, a kingdom that transcends all eternity and oversees and lives on top of all the complications of broken little tiny kingdoms here. If there is none of that, then the only thing you really can focus on is your own kingdom, right? Maybe that's your own family, maybe that's your work, maybe that's just your own thought space, your own head, your own beliefs. And so you have a, your own little kingdom and you rule and reign as Lord and God of that kingdom. And maybe you're uh, talking about why your kingdom's right and others are wrong. Maybe you're trying to pull people to your kingdom side. I don't really know, but I just know that if, if there is no God, there's no way you would follow that God. And so kind of your, your option there is to just become your own God, right? The only world that matters is yours in the here and now. Maybe you want to do nice things because you have your own rules and have your own moral code, but it's all still about what you believe and what you understand. And so you're just the God of your kingdom. That's not offensive. I'm not trying to be offensive there. It's just there is no other God. No one else is the holder of the rules, the keeper of the morality. It's just you, which means yeah, a religion is a man's attempt to either get to God or become their own God. And atheism is just a really good example of that. So let me just show you what happens in most religions. You're just going to see this play out. Uh, religion essentially does one of three things for us, right? First, if it's atheism, or, and I'll, I'll walk through some more in a second, the first step is just it leads us to a place of pride, right? We're really good at our religion. We're really good at being the God of our own world, right? We're really good at following the rules that we have. So religion, in a sense, is, is just leads you to a place of pride, right? This pride that you can handle it, and as long as things are going well, you get the money, you're doing the things good, things are going really well, you're like, I'm pretty good at this. I'm either pretty good at being my own God, or I'm pretty good at making the God, maybe your God's karma, just happy, right? And so it leads to a place of pride. 
until it doesn't, right? The other side, the flip of the coin, is, is either pride or the other side of that is despair, right? Just despair when things aren't going good, when you can't be in control of your own stuff, when you don't have it all figured out, when it does seem hopeless, right? So if you, whatever your ideology politically is or whether that's what you cling to, that there's some social good you can do by these thoughts, philosophical ideas, whatever it is, and you look at our world and go, well, capitalism was really working or socialism was really working. We really got this figured out until you don't. And then it leads to a place of despair, but it doesn't stop at despair. You can kind of play the hokey pokey between the two. Sometimes you're prideful. Sometimes you live in despair, but ultimately, let me just tell you, just play the tape forward long enough. What it eventually leads to is just indifference, right? Just indifference. So could you imagine this for the shepherds? I'm a shepherd. I'm in charge of my own life. I can do my own thing. I don't care if the world doesn't like me. I got this. I got this. We'll just live out here. We'll eat. We'll just have our own thing. We'll create our own world. It'll just be our world. Finally, it's just us. We got this. Pride. And then it goes to, wait, this is it? This is all the world has to offer? Just the four of us, the six of us, the eight of us living in a field by night? What do we look forward to? Is there any hope? despair right nobody likes us they wouldn't let us speak they treat us like we're less than human just deep despair and eventually what do you do you get so exhausted by being exhausted either being prideful and despair and eventually you you you're smarter than that we're smarter than that that we just want to get all the cycle so what do you do if you can't fix it if you can't make the gods happy or can't become your own god or you're not very good at being your own god what do you do eventually you just go I'm done. You look at the world and look at suicide rates, they are very concerning, right? You look at your own headspace, my own headspace, and it's very concerning, right? Our thoughts and our struggles, and we come to this place eventually, like literally your human psyche will do this on your behalf with enough stress and enough pressure that you will just become numb, Right? And so, I mean, what I love, uh, Edie Weissel is the one who says it. Ellie Weissel um, says, um, hate is not the opposite of love because there's still passion. There's, there's a reason. There's still a drawing. It's indifference is the opposite of love. And so we just get there, right? We get there. And what happens when you get there is you no longer see humans as humans. You're indifferent to them. You see the people on the other side as less than right and so we just this pride despair and difference and we look at our world and it just sure seems like there's a lot of pride and a lot of despair and boy is there a lot of indifference and i would argue i would argue that the place by which that shows up is in religion right in atheism where you become your own god so the problem is and this is what's really really important if you don't get to stay in for the whole thing let me just right here about you know two-thirds of the way through give you give you give you give you the entire um the entire uh big idea and here's that you ready you can say it out loud you can say it in your uh, head whatever it is and here's the big idea this is what i want you to get what i want you to know you can say it right now and here's the big idea it's not up to me that's it you can say that it's not up to me like it's not up to you right religion tells you it's up to you it's man's attempt to either get to god or become god and so the first one you see there is atheism where there goes there is no god so it's just up to me to create the world i want to live in right and as long as it's going good yay when it goes bad not yay right so that would be one that'd be atheism here's another one and i would just classify it as deism which to me is just as depressing as atheism um in that 
there's a God, okay, yeah, yeah, remember we talked about this, Romans 1 talks about this, if God created the whole world, we got lost, got focused on creation, missed out on creator, and so, okay, but then you go, well, there's nothing, and then there's something, we got to come up with something, the best solution there is just, okay, maybe there's something out there, some kind of force, the universe, maybe you use that term, or, or there's a God, and he kind of created the world, and set it into motion. The way we talk about this is the clockmaker God. He winds it, winds it up for the two of you in our church who still wind up clocks, right? Winds it, winds it up and then just sets it into motion and just goes, I'm done. I'm done. I just needed some entertainment. Cuts on the human TV and just giggles and laughs at our stupidity. Right? It is. It is a good drama unfolding out there into this deistic worldview is that there is a God who created things and it's just, he's just absent. So guess what that means? If he's absent, then who's in charge? I am. You are, right? So same thing. Okay, well, it's up to me. There's a God out there. Maybe he'll be appeased by my good behavior. Maybe I'll get something later. But he's not, gonna, he's not, he's not involved in anything now. Like, he is just an absent father, right? He just, he just birthed a world and just got out of it. Not paying child support, doing nothing. And so in, in this deistic worldview, where you kind of go is, okay, there's a God. He created everything. But boy, if he's absent, then what do I do? Well, lead to the same place of atheism. Well, I guess it's up to me. Guess it's up to me. Which could lead you to some pride. Man, I'm really good at this. I got this going. I got a good job. I got money in the bank, all those kind of things. And then despair. Wow, the stock market's falling. Whose fault is that? Well, it's got to be the government or whatever it is, right? So pride and then despair. And then finally, you get older and older and more and more life. And you just finally stuff your hands and go, forget it. My goal today is to get to the end of the day safely. And then my goal is, and this is indifference, right? Is to sometime way, 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 way out in the future, way, way out in the future, just arrive safely at death, right? Just as indifference. There's no real good stuff to have happen here. So let me just enjoy what's right in front of me for this moment. But that's the reality. That's it. Pride, despair, indifference. So another one would be this. And um, really interesting in our world. You see a lot of it in our worldviews. And I'd, I'd call it um, monism or monism. And it just means one here. So this is where you would see um, pantheism, panentheism. They're not the same, but they're similar. One means that everything is God. The other one means God is in everything, right? So this is just this, you know, the, the God is the universe. We see him in all things. And I, first, that sounds good because you go, I see God and all that. I see it in you. I see it in me. I see God and all that stuff. But then here's the problem. Your body gets cancer. Well, if God is everything, then that means God is cancer, you see disease and if god is everything then god is disease right or if god is in everything that means uh all the evil in our world that when people walk into movie theaters with guns that god is in the gun or god is the gun or god is the human pulling the trigger of the gun right you see that you even see all this stuff and we're talking about it and you go well if God is in all that, then that means that good and evil are yin and yang, and they just completely exist together. And if they exist together, that means one day God can be good, one day God can be bad, right? Do you understand where that just leads us in this place of like, what do you do with that? So you know what you do with that? The same thing that everybody else does. We go, well, we can't really count on the God to do it because God's in everything, but there's some of the things I don't really like about God. There's other things I do, so let me, let me just get in my own world, be in charge of myself. In other words, it's just got to be up to me. I get to make my best life. I get to live my best life. And if God is in me, then I'll just follow my heart and do my thing, right? Which, again, leads you to a place of pride. I know who I am. I'm living my truth. Then despair. Well, my truth has failed me. 
to finally indifference and bitterness where we go, I don't really care anymore. I just want isolation. Leave me alone. I just want to be separated from anyone and any, everyone that doesn't think or feel or believe like I do. I'm not angry. I just can't handle any more of it. I just got to sign off of Facebook. I got to get off Twitter. I just got to, I just got to not care anymore, right? Just this exhaustion that happens and this thing and you go, okay, the shepherds, they're there and they have all this different thing trying to figure out and this angel says, there's good news and they're going, well, not in the world I've lived in. I mean, there's been some times I've thought about good news, but when you tell me there's good news, I'm, I'm a little cautious in believing it because I got excited before and I sure have gotten let down. Right? Some of you have prayed the prayer, God, would you come to my life? Would you fill my heart? Would you save my marriage? You're like, yes, 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 God's got this. Let me do the thing. Let me open the Bible. Let me read, 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 read. And it's going for a couple weeks, and you think God's really happy with you, and then you miss a week, or something good doesn't happen, or you get the bad diagnosis, and all of a sudden you go, well, what's the point? Pride. And then despair. And then eventually indifference. There's another one, and this one would kind of capture a good bit of space, is a theism. Right? That just means we believe there's a God, and he's active in the world. Right, this, is, this can come in a couple of different ways. It can come in uh, uh, monotheism. That would be one God. So uh, Judaism would fall on that. Uh, Islam would fall into that. I'd put Mormonism in, uh, Mormon, yeah, Mormonism in, in, in that category. wouldn't put Christianity. Stay with me. I'll explain to you why in just a second. Because here's kind of what happens in this theistic worldview. There's a God. He created the world, and he made it perfect and beautiful. And then, and then we know this, we get this, the world rebelled against God right they went their own way we've talked about this Genesis chapter 2 where Adam and Eve they sin and by the way Judaism Christianity and you know Islam all start with the same story right there's this um, this uh, type of person there is this art type right where there's these people maybe you believe it literally figuratively wherever you land there got some opinions there and believe there actually were first humans right but um they were there and things were good god walked in the garden in the cool of the night and then all of a sudden they they messed it up they go god we like our plan better than yours right the way that i say it in the most offensive term because i think it's accurate is we did humans just stuck their middle finger up at god and go we got it from here we understand what you did for us but we just got it from here and so they just walked away from god now at that point there became this big chasm between god and man and most religions go "Uh uh-oh you're in big trouble because you made the god of the universe angry but 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 if you can perform well enough do well enough then maybe that god would let you back in the club so religion again is man's attempt to get to god so here are the rules wear the hats don't wear the pants only wear shorts no can't wear shorts you can't wear a two-piece you have to wear a one-piece you have to wear a one-piece with a t-shirt and shorts over it right you got, you got the rules in it oh don't eat that no shellfish can't eat shellfish not just because your face will get puffy right but you can't eat that food no 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 pork no barbecue for you right and so there's all these oh, oh when you pray you better face that direction and it better be for this many minutes and when you mess up you better say this exact prayer at this exact time or the god of the universe is not going to listen to you oh oh you missed church god is upset with you you better get back to church oh use the bad language god's really disappointed right and we just live in this world in this theistic world whatever your worldview is i gotta perform right many of you believe that's what our church is and all churches are just another place that wants your money and wants you to perform well that's telling you if you give your money and you serve more and act more like god then he will love you hear me there's nothing you could do to make god love you anymore there's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. But here's what happens in this religious kind of worldview as you go, if you're good at it, if you know the scriptures, know the Bible books, uh, books of the Bible in order, right? You don't eat those foods during Ramadan, right? You're really, really good at Lent. 
you're really good at taking communion every week or Eucharist, or whatever you, you call the term and all those things. You, you do all the, all the duties. If you're really good, leads to pride. And boy, do we know some people in that realm, right? You have people in your mind. You think, yep, that's pride. Oh, man, that's pride, right? Maybe you're that. That's pride. There's a certain way you expect to dress to church and certain things that's supposed to be said and certain songs are supposed to be sung because that's how God is pleased, right? It's just pride. I'm really good at it. Or at some point in your life, boy, in my life, we just know that, it leads to a place of despair. At some point, you realize you can't follow all the rules, right? And so if you see this in this religion, it's still, it's up to me. But it's not up to me, right? So either way, it leads you to a place of pride or despair. And then eventually, eventually, what it gets you to is just indifference. It's not that you hate the church. You're just tired of it. You're tired of all the rules. You know you can't follow them, right? So it leads you at first to this puffy place and then to this place of de- despair. And the only way you know how to make it through the day of the week and to the end of life is just not to care about those things anymore. Who cares about the future? Who cares about eternity? Who cares about God? Because I just am trying to pay the bills, eat my food, make sure my kids learn today, and that's just the end. So these big, lofty goals and dreams, they just fade into indifference. And that's what religion does to us, right? And so when this angel shows up and says, fear not, behold, I bring you, hey, shepherds, this is not for the elite in the temple, this is for you. Good news, good news. What he's saying is, there's always been a promise. And the promise was that you can't fix yourself. It's not up to you. And so what makes Christianity, which is so different than the rest of them, is that there is no other worldview, guys. There is no other worldview out there. Go search them. Where there is a suffering God and a suffering Savior who does all the work. All these other worldviews are either you're creating your own kingdom, which you don't actually have, and you know that. We're smart enough. To, we're smart enough to understand we don't have our own kingdoms. And, and where you try to be in control, and look, let's be honest, you know that. You know you're not completely in control. That's where the anxiety comes from. You can't control everything. We know that. We know we can't. We want to think about we know we can't. Like, where we pursue our own security as our own gods, right? We know we can't just secure things for ourselves. We know it's not really up to us, but we're exhausted trying to do it. Can we just pause for a second and go, oh, it's not up to us. But when you say that, please don't go to a place of indifference. Because it doesn't mean it's not possible. It just means it's not up to you, which is the beauty of Christianity. It's not up to us. Not up to us. It's up to Christ. It's up to Jesus. So if religion is man's attempt to get to God or become their own God, build the ladder, build the wall, create your own identity, then Christianity is God's perfect and only attempt to reconcile himself back to man. In other words, he does all the work. Find another worldview where God stepped in the middle of the muck and the mire welcomes his children. Find another worldview where the way that new territory is taken is his shed blood. That's why communion matters as we are acknowledging that Christianity, which makes it available to shepherds, makes it available to us, is so different than everything else. And so we don't have to live in this pride, despair, you know, tango, and we don't have to get to a place of indifference because it's not up to us. We can declare that. We don't have to live in pride and despair because it's not up to us. But that doesn't mean there's not hope. And in that moment, what they're saying to the shepherds is there is good news of great joy, right? So he's saying to the shepherds, there is, uh, for you, there's good news, and here's where it is, of great joy, of great joy, meaning this is something you can celebrate. Listen to me. Got to hear this. Like, it is going to be okay. The God of the universe still rules and reigns, and he invaded our planet to welcome us back to him. There is nothing you can do or nothing you've ever done to take away that opportunity for you to be made right before God through what Jesus is, not you. It's not up to you. It was up to Jesus, and he chose you. He chose you. He chose the shepherds. 
It's not up to you. It's up to him. So when this angel shows up and goes, there's good news of great joy, and they're going, oh, yeah, that's great. Great. Maybe you're talking to us. You want us to hear. But there's great joy, but we've heard that before, and it, it's got us puffy. We thought we were going to get welcomed back in the temple. We thought that we'd be seen as real people. But eventually it didn't work out. We found out that they just wanted to use us. It wasn't real. We were just another person for their diversity portfolio. Right? And so, no, 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 no. We can't. I hear you. You say it's for us, but you say it's good news. You say it's a great joy. And okay, none of the other worldviews have worked out, but boy, we just have to guard our hearts here. And no, he goes, no, no, no. Well, you got to hear this. It's not just good news, it's not just filled with great joy. It's for all people. It's for you wholeheartedly, 100%. For you. For you. And it's for all people. He's going, no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're a murderer. Doesn't matter if you are an idolater. Candidly, it doesn't matter if you were a child molester. As weird as that is to put out there in that way, it's for you. It's for you. It is good news. It is not up to you. And you know the pattern of pride, despair, and indifference. It's not up to you. It is for you. It is for all people. And then he goes, For, for, okay, pay attention. Unto you will be a sign. Uh, unto you, this uh, is born this day in the city of of David. Now I want you to see this. Two, three words. Savior who is Christ the Lord. You got to see this guys. You got to see this. This is only time in scriptures. Only time you see those three words paired off. So he's saying to the shepherds, hey, you got to understand why this is so important, why this is such good news. And he starts with, in the city of David, that's your city, Bethlehem. Meaning, hey, this plan that God had promised from the Old Testament through the line of David, is going to be fulfilled. Savior, Christ, and Lord. No, they would understand those words, so let me help you understand them real quick. The word Savior means he is the only way. It's not up to you. Savior literally means he is the one who rescues. You get this? This is, this is the weak people in Gotham City who are not going to do it on their own. They need someone supernatural, with supernatural powers, abilities to come in and rescue them. These are the people that need Superman to show up. This are, there is a literal Savior. That's why you're so drawn to those stories, right? There's a literal Savior. For there is a Savior. This is a deliverer. Hey, shepherds, you know, you don't own your own land. You've got to take the sheep. They're hungry. There's no more grass. There's no more water. And you've got to take them to a place where, where they can have sustenance. You deliver your sheep where there is a Savior. There is a deliverer that takes you out of death and into life, takes you out of despair and indifference and into to hope right and so he says unto you is a savior who is christ that word christ literally means the anointed one like this has always been the plan from the minute adam and eve ate the fruit they realized they were naked the minute that moses gave the jews the ten commandments god always knew they would not be able to follow him right the whole purpose of those things is for us to come to the conclusion that we need a Savior. And from Genesis chapter 3 on, God had been promising that he would have fulfilled it in a Savior. And all of a sudden, the Savior shows up in a manger. And he's going, for unto us this day, all these things have become true. There is a Savior. There is a Christ. And you've got to hear this. It's so important. There's a Lord. Now, these guys would have known the Lords. They had known the Lords of the kind of the church. They definitely would have known the Lords of the empire. And they were mean horrible human beings and in this pride despair world where those with power get to rule and reign there you go where's the justice in this i guess there's no god there's no justice in what he is saying what the angel is saying to them is no no, no there is a god who rules and reigns and he sits on top of all those things right um so important to see that like i, I have interactions i have a friend whose dad's going through some pretty messy stuff uh, i have another a couple other friends wrestling with cancer and other kind of stuff but to see their 
temperament and their spirit in the middle of this. Like one of the texts just this week was, this is hard, but I know that God is still God and he is still good, right? Like this is the, this is the lordship. He's going, yeah, this world is broken and it's messy and there's lots of evil and pain in it, but it's okay because I know the one who sits on the throne above all those things, who is bending and shaping all this and he is not, there will be a response from him. There's like the shepherd's going, man, this has been painful. We have been humiliated. We feel like yes, less than human. But if you're telling me there is a Lord that's not Caesar Augustus, that wasn't Julius Caesar, that sits above that, that is, that is good news. So there is a God and a king who sits above the pain and the sorrow and the racism and the riots, right? Sits above all those things. Sits above our government it's above our political ideologies and he still is ruling and reigning and he is declaring it's not up to us because it's up to him so he's going there is christ and he is the lord and it says this and this will be a sign for you you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger hey guys you want to see if the promise has been fulfilled walk about a mile which is see this baby. And it says this, and suddenly there's an angel, uh, with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so all of a sudden, there's much more angels than this, but you got that angel, and you got some angels showing up, the precious moments, angels showing up, and they're, they're breaking out the song. And hear me, they don't even need a savior. They know he's Lord. They don't need the Savior in Christ. They're they're not human beings. They've always been with God. And yet they're so excited about this good news because there is a Lord who is ruling and reigning. And he'll rule and reign forever. Do you believe that? Right? He sits above that. So they start breaking out in song. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, you see that? Peace. Among those whom he has placed. Peace. If we could be defined right now, if your Facebook post could be defined as something that is evident that you believe that there's a Savior of Christ and Lord, I think it's that word. Peace. When we see Adam and Eve in the garden before all the mess, there is this, what was called shalom. When God heals people, he says, go in the way of peace. When we're in trouble, we ask God to come and provide a peace that passes all understanding. There is available to you. And I, you don't have to manufacture it. Would you just ask? Like, right a second, would you, God, would you give me that peace? It says this, among those with whom he is pleased. Hear me. If you believe in Jesus Christ, a Savior, Christ, and Lord, he's pleased with you. He's pleased with you. Why? Because it's not up to you. It's up to Jesus. And as you, it says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, if you, even for this moment, first time, you go, okay, God, I believe your Lord. Jesus, I believe your Lord. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord is saved, meaning in this moment, he is pleased with you. Not because of what you did, but because of what Jesus did for you and in you and will do for you. He sees you as you will be in the heavenly realms in eternity because Jesus has taken that territory in you. You might not feel it yet. You might not experience it, but I want you to know that there is peace on earth for you. Hey, church, could that be what we're defined by right now? A place of just deep, unrelenting peace because God is pleased with us. Verse 15, when the angels went away from them into the heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Okay, God shows up. Let's go see it. Let's go see if there's actually fulfillment of this promise. So they make their way, and it says, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. So they show up. There's the baby. They're all there. They're seeing the fulfillment of this. And when they saw it, 
they may know the saying that had been told them concerning this child. They're going, oh my gosh, here you are. You're not going to believe this. Even just today, this angel made the promise that would be fulfilled in you. They can't believe this. There's this angel. We're seeing this angel. Then all of a sudden, all these other angels just started singing. It was crazy. We've never seen anything like it. And here it was. And we never would have thought that could happen. We were just indifferent. We were just living our life. And all of a sudden, we just experienced the heavenly realms. Right? And so they're there, and they're making that known. I'm like, oh, I want that for our church. I want that for you and me. I want to experience God's goodness and the peace that comes with that. And so they're saying, you're not going to believe this. And it says, all who wondered. All who heard it had wondered at what the shepherds told them. That's the same word wondered that we see from Zechariah earlier. So they were kind of astonished. Like, why are these shepherds talking? Do they not know we don't listen to them? But... They were perplexed. They were noticing, okay, like, all of a sudden something's changed in them. Like, they just were indifferent, and now they're not. They're filled with passion. Oh, God, may we have that in you, that passion that comes from being with you and knowing you and finding good news of great joy that's for all people. And so they all wondered, and it says this, verse 19, but scene change, right? So you get up here, start to Mary and Joseph. They're looking at him, and all of a sudden the, the scene changes. Luke focuses back on on uh, the shepherds and then all of a sudden he comes back for the first time this has all been about shepherds and now he puts the scene changed back to them going the baby's here what are they thinking are they excited and this is this but Mary scene change that word but doesn't mean like it was a, in a disagreement with what the others are doing it means now let's go to a different scene but Mary treasured up all these things pondering them in her heart that word treasured in the Greek learning means to like preserve she's just gathering all these things the shepherds the good news the angels the star the the manger Joseph like all these things she's just putting them all together so she's pondering them and gathering them and preserving them she's treasuring she's like literally accumulating them all and putting them like in their little heart right and it says and treasured up all these things and that word things is actually the word we get for rhema which means word you got to see this. This is so much more than she, the, the, she's treasuring up the fact that the shepherds are saying it. When, it. when that word things there really points to this, she's treasuring up all the words from God. You see this? So she's sitting there and she's holding this baby and she is seeing it and looking at this little baby and going, nothing's going to stop the plans that you made, God. Nothing's going to take your love away, right? Like, this is it. And so it says she's treasuring up all these things. She's taking all these promises and going, the fulfillment of this is here. It was not up to me. It is up to the God of the universe, the Messiah, the Lord, the Christ, the Savior. And here he sits in my lap, pondering them in her heart. I mean, she compiled them. She placed them on her heart and goes, this is the God of the universe and he is good. And then it says this, and the shepherds return glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them, right? See what they do there? They worship. So for weeks now, I've been telling you, praise is our prescription to pain, right? Uh, worry, uh, worship is our solution to worry, right? In the middle of this, they're going, God's good. Now, here's the thing. I want you to see this. They went back to being shepherds. They're still homeless. They're still living out in the night, watching their flocks by night, right? Nothing changed. Now, there's some, the, some new passion for them. Nothing changed in them, circumstances. But you know what did change was their perspective. They have a Savior, Christ and the Lord, and they just saw him. They just realized in that moment it was absolutely not up to them. Absolutely. It's not up to us. You want our world to change, it's not up to you. 
But it's up to God. And we can beg Him to come into our life. Beg Him to transform us in the same resurrection power that He used to conquer the grave and He'll live in us as we move forward in this life and love and peace and joy and hope and good news of great joy, right? And it says this, and at, the eight, at, the, at the end of eight days, when He was circumcised, He was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before He was conceived in the womb. So, get a new name. Jesus. This is the name that Gabriel shows up and says, you're going to name him Jesus. Eight days, same thing. Remember John Baptist on the eighth day gets a name. Mary and Joseph, they name him Jesus, not Joseph. And that word Jesus um, in the Greek is translated in uh, the Hebrew Yeshua or Joshua. And you see, this is really beautiful because God had told his people that he was going to protect them and it wasn't going to be up to him it was going to them it's going to be up to him and he would he would bring them to a place of fulfillment right he would bring he would make all their promises be paid off right you see that and so god made this promise and he had moses and moses and was leading these people and they went into their own religion where they worship false gods and they went from pride to despair to indifference and god was angry and yet said there will be a day where i'll fulfill all these things and then he tells moses you're not going to see it but the one behind you will and this guy named joshua came and led this people in the kingdom of god and israel the kingdom of god into a promised land going there is a kingdom where god will rule and reign and for a moment it was beautiful and then what happened is they got back to their religion and their religious beings and trying to figure out how to have their own control and security and hiding things. And all of a sudden, slowly but surely, they lost their hope and trust in God. And they started operating this pride and despair and then indifference. But there were people in there going, God, would you please come back? And they'd say something like this, would you give us another warrior king? That's what the word Yeshua means. Would you give us another Joshua? And you read through the book of Judges where they kept asking for another Joshua. Give us another Joshua. Give us another Yeshua. And so when you see this in this moment on the eighth day, Luke is going. You know that promise, guys? The one that Mary now has certainty in that she treasures up all these things. That promise is Jesus. It was the name above all names and all beings he is the christ the messiah and the lord and he has always been planned so that one you wanted and joshua there's a true and better joshua and his name is jesus and so 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 you gotta see this in other words hey all these things mean it's up to you but christ jesus means it's up to him so you want in on it you want in on it then you got to get in with jesus right and so kind of what you see in the old testament the very beginning you see this terrible amputation happen where where all humans adam and eve and us were just kind of cut off from life cut off from god we were amputated away from it when we said we like our plan better than yours and god goes only holy and perfect can be attached to me there is gangrene there is cancer and i am cutting it off right so he cut us off from him he amputated us from his heart and soul but he promises that one day he would bring us back and there's this term in the scriptures you see it in romans particularly romans 5 6 7 this term called imputation where we get imputed literally we get you know put back in grafted back into the kingdom through jesus right so we were cut off from god and then we get put back in and the only way back in is to go through jesus and so when we think about communion, 
But what Jesus is telling us is, hey, you get to get back in on it because the way you get back in, you were amputated from the body. But now you get to share in my body. You get to share in my blood. You get to share in my flesh. You get to share in that. And you don't have to pay the price. I'm paying the price. It's me who's taking new territory. But you get all the benefits of sonship. You get all that. But being back into the body. So when we talk about communion, this isn't just some cute object lesson where, where God is saying, here, I died for you. No, he's going, this is how you get back into the body. Like there's something sacred that happens when we consume this. So when Jesus, right before his death, he takes some bread and he breaks it and he gives it to him. And he literally says, this is my body, right? You were cut off from the body, but you don't have to be. Here's my body here, here. And he breaks it up and he distributes it to him. And he holds it up. He says, this is my body. It was given for you, meaning you're not cut off. You can get back. There's imputation, and there's something about this opportunity right now in this moment that I do not want you to miss, that you get to be imputed, brought back, connected back to the body of Christ. And so he's going, you want in? You want in? There's only one way in. It's Jesus. It's not up to you. And so he gives us this. He says, take it and eat it and do this and remember to me. Bring all this, all the promises and all the fulfillment into your life in this day and know that you and I are one. It's not up to you. It was up to me and I've proven it by my body being broken. And he literally said, be imputed. Be back into my body. Come back to me. And so as we take this, this is our reminder that we are one with Jesus, not because it's up to you, but because it was up to him and it was his shed blood that's taken this territory up with you. So as you take this, would you take it with all the rights and benefits that come with being a child of God? So would you join me right now as we take his body? And then, I have juice here. He, he took some wine and poured it out and said, guys, 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 like, you know how a body works. <laughs> you know how blood moves out and uh, sends everything that, that the extremities need and blood, like everything you need is found in that. Like, and he goes, this is my blood. And it was shed for you, meaning I get to take new territory if you'll let me. You want, you want my, shed, my shed blood to cover you, then all you gotta do is take my body. So this is more than an object lesson. He took it and he passed the cup and he said, drink, drink this, drink this is the covenant of new life that's given to you imputation right this second, you and I forever it's not up to you because I'm the savior, I'm the only one who can deliver you I'm the Christ, I'm the one who's always promised I am the Lord, I am ruling and reigning and I want to do it in you, you were amputated and now you're welcome back, so he says as often as you drink this drink this in memory and the understanding of what I came for, would you join me and take in Jesus' cup Jesus' blood So what I love about what we get to do is we get to spend a moment just marveling of that. I know it's crazy, guys. I know it's crazy that we get imputed back to him through what he did. And just this moment, we're reconciled fully. We're right before him. There is no pride. There is no despair. There is no indifference. There's just great news or good news of great joy in our heart. And it can be filled with peace. All that happens only for, by one reason. Because of Jesus because of Jesus. And so we're going to sing together and we're going to sing this song because what a beautiful name it is, right? And so when we're saying that, we're saying, what a beautiful name that was promised. What a beautiful name that's been fulfilled and everything is found in the name of Jesus, what he did. It 
applies to our hearts and souls. So would we sing this with great joy and great pleasure and great hope? And would, as we sing it, would all the pride and despair and indifference in our, our, our minds and hearts just be flushed out as God's, Jesus' body invades every part of us. So would you join me as we sing together about Jesus? See you
that He will bring me home. And day by day, I know He will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne. To this I hold, my hope is only thanks for joining us. I certainly hope that you live this week walking in good news of great joy that's for all people and that your life and your family and your home is filled with peace. Now if you haven't heard, we are in the process of moving back indoors but just for one service at 9 a.m. starting this upcoming week. So this upcoming Sunday which is September 13th we'll be back indoors but you have to RSVP online only for 100 folks and we'll continue to do what we're doing now back in your home. So if you're not ready for that, that's fine. But 100 folks will have room for this week as we work on the experiment of reopening. We will still be doing the drive-in service where you'll get to experience everything outdoors. So if you want to stay in your car or sit outside where you can sing without a mask, all those things, you can do that outdoors. So stay tuned this week. Pay attention to the newsletter. Pay attention to the vision update. And as we, and watch our social media pages as we walk through kind of the frequently asked questions and the plans to reopen. Love you guys. I actually cannot wait to see your faces in real life. So be safe, be well, and walk in peace and joy and blessings this week. Love you guys.